So it has been a little while since we were in our Old Covenant series, just the way that things have worked out providentially over the last month or so. But tonight we are back there again and we're finishing up our study of the annual feasts in the Old Covenant calendar. So we've been looking at various aspects of the Old Covenant and what we've been doing lately is looking at the annual calendar and the various events in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant calendar. And tonight we're studying the last of the annual feasts, which is the Feast of Booths, or you might have heard it called before the Feast of Tabernacles, which basically just means tent, right? That's what the tabernacle was, was a tent. And so this was a feast of temporary shelters, tabernacles, booths, huts, whatever you want to call them. Let's jump right in, beginning with a basic summary and overview of this feast. Note first that five days after the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths begins. And on the first day of the feast, the Israelites were to go get branches and boughs and leaves of trees, presumably to build little huts or booths or tents or tabernacles to live in for the next seven days. And then, yes, they were to live in these little huts for seven days. And not just live in huts, but rejoice all week long. Look at Leviticus 23 and verse 40. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. In other words, this is not to be a festival marked by affliction and asceticism the way that the Day of Atonement was, in fact, and, and some other observances in the Old Covenant calendar were to be marked by a, a seriousness, a... a so you can be serious and joyful at the same time, so maybe that's not the right word, but, but an asceticism, an affliction, that it, there was more of a, a, a mourning, a heavy atmosphere in the camp as, on certain occasions. This was not to be one of those. This was to be a joyous, celebratory time in Israel. When I was a youngster, my family would regularly go on long road trips when my dad was on vacation, stopping each night at a campground to swim in the pool if there was one, maybe take a, take a dip in the lake, play some mini golf if sometimes the campgrounds were equipped with a little mini golf course, roast marshmallows around the fire, and sleep in a tent. It was a fun part of my childhood summers. Think of the Feast of Booths as something like those annual camping trips that the whole family was supposed to look forward to. I'm quite sure that my boys, at least, would be glad if the Feast of Booths was part of the New Covenant calendar. And we had to go live in huts outside for a week every year. Some of you might feel the same by virtue of your natural inclinations and your love for the great outdoors. But I'm, I'm quite sure that it would run contrary to the natural inclinations of others of you. So what was God up to? Why did God care that the Israelites would go live in tents for a week? Was God like some human fathers who are just trying to raise their kids right, make sure they get some fresh air, you know, have some 
nice experiences and build some good memories on summer vacation? Was God like a, a cosmic boy scout leader in the sky concerned that his boys grow up to be manly guys with a love for the outdoors who know how to build a fire and tie a knot and other things that men should know? Well, of course not. These are, these are entirely wrong ways to conceive of the purpose of the Feast of Booths. So to answer the question about why God commanded it, we have to ask another question, which is what was the theological meaning and importance of the Feast of Booths? And the answer is given us in Leviticus 23 and verse 43. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, the Feast of Booths was a reenactment of the Exodus. God didn't care whether someone preferred the comforts of their house to a week in a ramshackle makeshift hut or not. God wasn't just trying to make his people an outdoorsy kind of people. And give them some valuable life experiences. God couldn't care less whether that was someone's natural inclination and preference or not. But what God did care about was whether or not they remembered in perpetuity that there was a time in their collective history when they had been a pilgrim people who had been rescued by grace and were on their way to a better country but had to pass through what Deuteronomy 8.15 calls the great and terrifying wilderness. God cared that that memory didn't pass from their collective um, memory, that that didn't pass from their collective consciousness. They were to remember that God had been with them in this journey through the great and the terrifying wilderness and that God had seen them through. In that passage in Deuteronomy 8, it says, God led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know. The people were to remember this part of their history. And they were to remember that God had seen them through that stage of their collective history. That God had been with them. That God had neither left them nor forsaken them. But that God had been faithful to do what He promised. And that God had brought them into the promised land. The Exodus wasn't over when the Israelites left Egypt. The Exodus wasn't over when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. It wasn't the sum total. Bringing the Israelites out of Egypt wasn't the sum total of what God intended to do for His Old Covenant people. He brought them out of Egypt in order to bring them in to their own land. And of course, bringing them out of Egypt was a gracious and a benevolent thing. And of course, bringing them into the promised land was a gracious and benevolent thing. But so was leading them through the great and terrifying wilderness. 
So was leading them through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Well, how was it benevolent? It says that God did all this, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Leading them through the wilderness was good for them. They learned. They grew. They developed as God led them through the wilderness. They were humbled. They were brought to think of themselves not more highly than they ought. They learned that God is the one who is able to give them water from the flinty rock and to feed them in the wilderness with bread from heaven. They learned about who they were and who God was, whom they served. God intentionally put the Israelites in a wilderness stage, a journey stage, a pilgrim stage, and God benevolently brought the Israelites into a wilderness stage, a journey stage, a pilgrim stage. Though the Israelites knew from the beginning of their journey, Moses sings about it in Exodus 15, just after crossing the Red Sea. Though the Israelites knew from the beginning of their journey that they were going to a promised land, they didn't immediately get there. And it wasn't because the arm of the Lord is too short. It was because God was too benevolent to take them immediately there. And that God saw that it would be good for them in the end to lead them through a great and terrifying wilderness with all of its hardships, with all of its difficulties. It would be good for them to go dwell in tents for a while, that they might be humbled and that they might learn how faithful God is, how able God is to strengthen them, to help them and to cause them to stand. That they might learn that when they pass through the waters, when they pass through the fire, God would be with them. To learn, not just in theory, but through their experience, that God would never leave them or forsake them. God wants us to recount all of His benevolent, wondrous deeds. And without the Feast of Booths, the Israelites may have been prone to remember the Passover, where they were delivered from the same fate of the, as the Egyptians by the blood of the Lamb, to remember actually getting out of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, and then to skip over the wilderness stage because it was uncomfortable, and recount and rehearse simply when God brought them into the Promised Land. But God says, now nah, remember, the, remember the journey. Remember the pilgrim stage. Remember the wilderness phase. God gave Israel the Feast of Booths to make sure that their generations remembered not only being passed over by the angel of death and getting out of Egypt, 
but so that they remembered the way that God upheld them in the wilderness and that their shoes did not wear out and their clothing did not wear out and they got bread from heaven and they got water from the flinty rock and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the faithfulness of God through it all in bringing them into the promised land. There was a time when the old covenant people of God were out of Egypt, but there was a journey ahead of them. And they were for a long time a pilgrim people looking for a better country. And God eventually got them there. This is what the Feast of Booths was for. It was a reminder of the journey. It was a reminder of the pilgrim experience. And of course, the whole Exodus narrative from the Passover to the Promised Land is typological and representative of Christ's better and greater rescue of His people. When Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration and meets with Moses and Elijah, it says that they were speaking with him of the exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus would be slain as the Passover lamb and God's wrath would not fall upon those for whom Jesus died the way that it would fall upon the the rest of guilty mankind. And those for whom Jesus died would be marked out, set apart for God. And they would be brought out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His glorious Son. They would get out of Egypt because of what Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And now, having got out, having been passed over by the angel of death because of our Passover land, having been led out by the mediator of our covenant, we New Testament Christians are on a journey. And we must not forget or overlook our pilgrim experience. Unfortunately, for people who love camping and the great outdoors, there is no command for the new covenant people of God to go camping once a year. No feast of booths for us, unfortunately, boys. But like the Israelites of old, we should remember and never forget that a journey through a great and terrifying wilderness is part and parcel of God's plan to get us where we're going. Like the Israelites of old, we must recall the faithfulness of God to do what He has promised. Never leave us nor forsake us until we reach that better country, which He has promised us. We must embrace our pilgrim identity as those who, as Hebrews 13, 14 says, have no lasting city here, but seek the city that is to come. We must embrace our pilgrim identity as those who by faith live in tents like Abraham of old 
Looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, who are seeking a homeland and desiring a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Hebrews 11, verse 9, verse 10, verse 14, and verse 16. And we must remember that this journey is good for us. It is part of God's plan for us. To humble us, that we might not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And to exalt His name. To, raise our, to lower our thoughts of ourselves and to raise our thoughts of Him. As one who is able to give us water from the flinty rock. As one who is able to feed us with bread from heaven as we make our way through. As one who is able to make sure that the soles of our shoes don't wear out. And that our clothing doesn't wear out as He leads us through this journey. To keep us safe from the, the fiery serpents and scorpions and so forth. To make sure that we are not overcome by Sihon and Og and the inhabitants of the nations around us. The journey that the Israelites took when they came out of Egypt and the Feast of Booths, which commemorated that year after year, was intended to normalize and ingrain in the psyche of the people of God the fact that there's a rescue and that there's a journey and then there's a consummation. And that this is all part of God's wise and benevolent purposes for us. His people. And so we must be glad not only to get out of slavery and to be spared the same fate as the Egyptians because of the blood of the land. And we must be glad not only to get to the promised land, but we must joyfully embrace the pilgrim face, the pilgrim stage. We must learn how to joyfully dwell in tents without the comforts of a more permanent home. As the Israelites had to do when they left Egypt and as they had to do temporarily year after year in commemoration of that. But how are we to joyfully accept that we are strangers and exiles on the earth? That here we have no lasting city. How are we to joyfully embrace a paradigm in which it's not all about putting down roots and getting comfortable, but recognizing that we're just passing through? As 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31 says, The present form of this world is passing away, and it will therefore never be home to us until it is made new. Matthew Henry describes the duty well. The gospel of Christ teaches us to dwell in tabernacles, so to speak. To sit loose to this world as those who have here no continuing city. But by faith and hope and holy contempt of present things to desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. The answer to how we may do this joyfully is to recognize that even this middle phase is by God's 
benevolent appointment. It is to do us good in the end. That God is working good purposes in us in the midst of this. To trust that He who brought us out of Egypt has our best interests at heart and is benevolent. And if He's leading us through the wilderness, then He's doing something good for us as He did for the people of old. And to realize that there is a promised land and that we won't be in the wilderness forever. One day we will cross the Jordan and He will bring us into the land for which He brought us out of Egypt. Sure, it would be nice to feel more at home here. But as Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, so we must. And as he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward, so we must. Hey, you don't belong here, someone taunts. Yeah, that's right, I don't. I'm on my way to a better country. You don't fit in, they say. Yeah, that's right, that's because I'm a foreigner. I belong to another culture. My citizenship is in another country. Instead of trying to make this feel like home, embrace your pilgrim identity, own it. Do you sometimes feel like you're living in a tent while others around you are enjoying running water and flush toilets and electricity, so to speak. That you're camping while other people are in the air conditioning. Remember that you are a pilgrim and that you are going to a new city whose designer and builder is God. Are there fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water? This in-between phase between getting out of Egypt and getting to the promised land is part and parcel of God's plan. God brought His old covenant people out of Egypt and into the promised land, but there was a journey in the middle. And God brings His new covenant people out of Egypt and into the promised land, but there is a journey in the middle. We need to learn how to embrace accept, remember, and even celebrate our pilgrim identity. Are you in a tent? Well, you know why? Because you're not an Egyptian. Are you in a tent? You know why? Because you're not a Canaanite. Are you in a tent? It's because you are God's peculiar people. You are God's special people whom He has set His love upon and whom He has brought out of Egypt and whom He will bring in to Canaan. And it is His plan for you right now. And His good plan for you right now. To be in the wilderness. We must learn how to live in tents joyfully. Instead of complaining all the while about the hardships. We must learn to trust God that He is with us. Even to the end of the age. And that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He will quench our thirst with water from the rock. Corinthians tells us in the rock is Christ. And He will feed us with bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I am the true bread from heaven. And we will drink of the rock and we will 
eat the bread of heaven until we reach our destination. But in the meanwhile, we are pilgrims between Egypt and Canaan. And the Egyptians are more comfortable than us right now, and the Canaanites are more comfortable than us right now, but it will not always be so. Nothing abnormal is happening if it feels, Christian, like you're not at home. Nothing abnormal is happening if if you're not comfortable and you feel like you're not where you belong. Nothing is abnormal if there are fiery serpents and scorpions around you. You're just living in a tent on your way to the promised land. You're in the middle of the story. May I suggest that you keep a feast of booths in your heart this week. And rather than buck against your pilgrim experience and try to deny it or ignore it or escape it, embrace it and embrace it joyfully. Rather than going and living in a tent this week and seeing it as a feast of affliction and asceticism, go camping this week. Embrace it joyfully. Go out the way that a little kid goes on a road trip with his family to sleep in tents. And it's the most exciting thing. The funnest thing, the best thing. If it doesn't feel like you're at home, it's because you're not. Situate yourself in the broader story. You have been spared the wrath of God because of the blood of the Lamb. You've been led out of slavery and you're on your way to your eternal home, but right now you're in a tent. Keep a feast of booths in your heart this week and own it, celebrate it. The fact that you're in a tent marks you as God's covenant people. You're not an Egyptian and you're not a Canaanite, both of whom are at home in the air conditioning. But you're in a tent this week and that's actually a great thing. It's part of God's benevolent purposes to do you good in the end. So turn your tent experience into a camping trip. Turn your tent experience into a festival. Enjoy the other campers and festival attendees. Be glad you're not in Egypt anymore, even if they have more creaturely comforts. Be glad you're not in Canaan, even though they have more creaturely comforts. Rejoice that you are among those who are presently displaced. Because you have been brought out of one place to be brought into another. And make peace with the fact that you're just in the middle of the story right now. That's all that's happening. Learn what God wants you to learn. Trust God. Follow Him. He is good. And this middle portion of the narrative, like every other part of the narrative, is also for your good. Situate yourself in the broader story. Embrace your pilgrim identity. Keep a feast of booths in your heart. And celebrate that living in a tent is just a step on the journey to a promised land. And God who has promised is faithful to get us there. He will do it.